Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. On today's episode, Doreen Virtue and Don Hill are going to join me on an episode that first appeared on Doreen's YouTube channel. And together we're going to discuss what scripture teaches about generational curses, examples of modern day teaching on generational curses, and the problems with that view. We're also going to discuss genuine biblical suffering and sanctification and the nature of spiritual warfare. Now, for today's episode, uh, please join Doreen and me and Don Hill uh, for this discussion. Please take it away, Doreen. Let's talk about this topic of generational curses. I get a lot of letters and questions about this, and it's the questions are, are we punished for the sins that our family committed? Are generational curses the cause of our problems? And what does the Bible say? Now, this is a nuanced topic, as there are verses that state that our ancestors' sins will bring curses upon us. But also there's verses that state that we are only responsible for our own sins. And once we are saved and in Christ, we are a new creation and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Praise the Lord. Joining me today to exegete the applicable biblical passages are Dave Jenkins and Don Hill. You've seen them on this program before. The links to their websites, their social media, and their books are in the video description below. Please do visit them. Dave Jenkins is a theologian and author and the executive director of Servants of Grace, And Don Hill will be joining us. Don is a Christian blogger and author who was saved out of the New Apostolic Reformation, where she was an NAR prophetess involved with generational curses and curse breaking and all the topics you'll see today before God so graciously opened her eyes to his biblical truth. Dave and Don, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us on again, Doreen. Thanks for having me as always, Doreen. Yeah, it's always a joy to have you both on. Um, And so, Dave, let's start with you because this is confusing. There's a lot of passages, um, Exodus 25, uh, 34, 7, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that say, for instance, let's go to Exodus 20, verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, clearly talking about idolatry. Yeah, it, you know, as we look at, you know, Exodus 25, Exodus 34, 7, Numbers 14, 18, Deuteronomy 5, 9, Ezekiel 18, 20. I'm going to start by reading each one of these passages. So um, you already read Exodus 25, so I won't read that, but Exodus 34, 7 says, Keeping steadfast love for the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, But those who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. Numbers 14, 18 says the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity uh, of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations. 
Deuteronomy 5.9 says, you, will, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. So um, of those passages that I just read, and there's a couple more that I'm going to read here as we go on, uh, Deuteronomy 5.9 is arguably probably the most familiar to people. Many uh, teach uh, these passages, they interpret these passages to suggest that uh, there are generational curses today, that is curses on children resulting from their father's sins. But we have to ask a question. Um, is that the point of these passages? Is that the point of these texts? And as we look at the context of these passages, uh, we can say very clearly that that interpretation does is not warranted and it's not a valid one. Uh, whereas God's wrath will be visited uh, to the third and the fourth generations for those who hate God, his mercy would be visited on thousands of generations for those who love God. Notice the contrast here. The point of this passage is not to communicate the number of generations who will be blessed versus the number who would be cursed, but rather to communicate God's mercy far exceeds his wrath. So ironically, many people have used these passages to stress the severity of God's wrath over and against his mercy, meaning that they pit one against the other. But this observation alone does not resolve the difficulty. For the point still seems to stand that the innocent could be punished for the father's sins. So let's talk uh, very briefly about some of these points. First, notice in these passages that the curses are on those who hate God. Also consider the fact that God is the active agent behind the divine visitation upon the sins of succeeding generations. So the common interpretation assumes that the origin of the ver of the curse is on Satan or even man himself. And yet the text in Deuteronomy 5.9 very clearly states that the one visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children is God himself. So why would God break the curse if we're supposed to if we suppose this to be a curse, that he is responsible for giving. After all, he wouldn't have said that he was going to curse the third and fourth generations if he did not want the sinner's third and fourth generations to be cursed. To invoke God's help in breaking this supposed curse is to ask God to will something other than what he expresses. So this text, Deuteronomy 5, 9, the other ones, Exodus 25, Exodus 34, 7, Numbers 14, 18, it speaks of God's determination to punish successive generations for committing the same sins they learned from their parents. In other words, God will not say, I won't punish this generation for what they're doing to break my covenant, because after all, they merely learned it from their parents who did it also. Instead, God will punish uh, generation after generation if they keep doing the same kind of sins that previous generations did. So if the children continue to do their, the sins their parents did, they will receive the same punishment that their parents did. Deuteronomy 34.16 states that fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for uh, his own sin. Now, Ezekiel 18, uh, 1 through 5 is often used uh, as well to suggest the, the, the validity of generational curses. And yet that very passage counters the idea that God punishes the children for the father's sins. People were saying that children were suffering because of the sin of parents. 
that is a very common understanding among non-Christians, even among uh, Christians who may not be as familiar with reading or studying their Bibles. Preachers in Israel during the time uh, of Ezekiel were misinterpreting Exodus 25, bringing people into bondage, painting a picture of an unrighteous God who punished children for the sins of their ancestors. And yet the Lord replied in Ezekiel 18, 3-4, You are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. The soul who sins will die. And so in ver the verses that follow in Ezekiel 18 Ezekiel expands on this idea, declaring that if the son of an evil man does not repeat his father's sins, which contradicts the interpretation of the generational curses passages, that the children are destined to repeat their father's sins, he will not be punished, but only the father. And the same goes for the other passages in which a righteous man's son commits evil. The father will be blessed, but the son will be punished. In fact, Ezekiel summed up the matter by proclaiming further in Ezekiel 18, 20-21, which says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all of his sins that he has committed and keeps all the statues and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. We also need to consider one other point from John 9, 3. And there, upon seeing a blind man from birth, is asked, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, Jesus responds, saying, neither did this man nor his parents sin. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed to him. Now, contrary to the disciples' belief, uh, he was not paying for his ancestors' sins. His infirmity was unrelated to his sin. It was for the glory of God. And so in light of this uh, teaching concerning personal responsibility for sin, any interpretation of Deuteronomy 5.9 or other passages that we consider that yield a contrary idea other than what I've discussed here so far, it needs to be refuted. This understanding of generational curses has nothing to do with God. While it's also true that the human tendency is for children to repeat the sins of their parents, this is not due to the fact that God cursed them so they must repeat the same sins. There's nothing supernatural about it. It is a phenomenon of human nature. We learn uh, from example. We learn from influence. We tend to do what we've learned by the example of others. Now, to your point, Doreen, uh, Scripture communicates that consequences, not curses, are passed on through the generations. So while the notion of generational curses is foreign uh, to Scripture, there's a sense in which the curse of sin has been passed on from generation to generation. That is, to be clear. Through the first Adam, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Romans 3.23 says. Through the second Adam, or the last Adam, Jesus Christ, atonement is offered to sinners. Paul says in Romans 5.18, Consequently, just as a result of one trespasses condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. So through no act of our own, we are condemned. Likewise, through no act of our 
own, we are saved, as Romans 5, 12 through 21 says. Jesus bore our curses by being made a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in Galatians 3.13. So if any such thing, such as a generational curse, does exist, that curse over our very life would have been broken by Christ. In Christ, we receive the mercy of God, not a curse. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that uh, we are new creations in Christ. Well, that's pretty thorough. That really helps to exegete this. It really seems like it was an Old Testament warning from the Old Covenant more than the New Covenant then. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that, Dave. Don, we would love to hear about your past involvements with generational curses. Um, there's teachings out there. Um you know, if you've had different things happen in your family, like divorces or poverty or uh, certain illnesses like diabetes and things, it was this feeling of you had to break this generational curse, that the curse stops with me. Um, there's teachings out there that I'm a bloodline breaker, which that puts you in really the category of being your own savior, really. Um, you're not you're not relying on Christ. It's it's a man-centered a view, a man-centered doctrine. And so there's always this, it's like a hamster wheel, Doreen. I mean, it's just like, it, if you ever battled in your life with, with something, then it was one of the thoughts that you could go to was, well, maybe I have a relative that did something and it's passed down the bloodline. I mean, there's teachings that even demons would attach to people's bloodlines and that you had to break that off and you had to figure out which relative could have done that. So that way you could be free. And what's sad, um, for one thing, I was in such deception that I would believe some of these things um, that, oh, there's generational curses and I have to break them. You know, I'm walking in power. I'm walking in authority. I'm walking in victory. And it stops with me. Bless God. You know, people would talk like that. But really, that's relying on you. And it's relying on what power you think you have rather than relying on Christ and realizing, I mean, Galatians 3.13, that was one of the passages I came to coming out of this movement and, and reading it and thinking, okay, well, this is under the old covenant and, and this is the context of it. Jesus broke, I'm redeemed from, from that curse. That This is not something that applies to me. Um, I'm not responsible for the sins of my ancestors. I'm responsible for my own sins. And Christ is my Savior. I'm not my own Savior. Um, so there's a lot of that out there. And unfortunately, what it does, it's it's very legalistic. It creates bondage in people to where they never feel, they never understand true freedom in Christ. Um, and, and Christ brings rest. He brings peace with God. He, he helps us to understand the peace of God. He brings true freedom. It doesn't mean that we're not going to battle with things, but there is such, there's such a difference when we understand biblical Christianity that it's, it's not this paganistic way of handling things in life and trying to figure out where this, uh, I call it a myth. This is a myth, I believe, that you know, scripture with false teachers, they perpetuate these myths because they 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 want to keep people following them. And and unfortunately, again, this is another thing that's very lucrative. I mean, people make money off of these types of teachings because people it, it, it tickles people's ears. It 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 gives them the feeling that they are doing something and they are they have power when really it's deception. 
as I, you know, watch these clips, you know, from Derek Prince, Stephen Furtick, I've been reading on it, especially Derek Prince. It's all about, like you're talking about, breaking off this thing. But then where is the power of God in the gospel that Paul talks about in Romans 1.16? In fact, there's no mention, Derek Prince talks about making a U-turn, but then he never tells them to look to Christ or trust Christ. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, of course, we've as, as we've talked about before with um, Doreen and I have talked about, and we talked about, did a roundtable on that. Um, you know, it's just interesting because like you, for repentance to be biblical, it's not just being sorry for your sin. It's turning away from your sin and trusting Christ, uh, very basically. Yeah, um, that's, that's where it gets confusing because a lot of these false teachers seem to say, as Don was talking about, very me-centered, that if you would repent for your idolatry, you will break the generational curses. Now, repenting for idolatry is biblical. So this is that mm -hmm. truth truth with lies mixed in. Right. But to say that we're going to atone for our ancestors, that's <laughs> that's pretty blasphemous. It's putting yourself in Christ's place who atone for the sins of those who believe in him. They have the right principle. And so when people hear the principle, they're yeah. like, oh, principally, that sounds good because, you know, um, it, but it, but it doesn't go far enough, um, and it has the wrong emphasis. So you never hear about Christ and His death and burial and resurrection. You never hear of the sufficiency of Christ. Um, you, you, I, I, I just have to wonder. Like the the power seems to be on an event rather than on what has been finished and signed and sealed and delivered in the in the death and resurrection of Christ. Yeah, and it seems like that the power's in the formula. I mean, when I've listened to Derek Prince and others, they give this almost like this checklist. Well, first you got to do this. And they'll start with a scripture maybe, and then they'll go down. And then the scripture seems to not be there. I mean, they're just creating this formula of, well, you got to do this first, according to the scripture, but then you got to do this, and then you got to renounce, and then you got to repent, and then you got to confess, and then you got to da-da-da-da, and then you'll be free. And again, it's like, I, I agree that repentance is most certainly needed and, and it's biblical, but this formula that, that, that has been put together um, and, and trying to justify is, is not biblical, unfortunately. And then it just leads people into further bondage and leads them away from Christ and unto themselves. I think you were touching on, you know, just like, uh, you know, the various things like break off witchcraft, break mm -hmm. off uh, this and that. And and uh, maybe we'll just play a clip here from uh, Bethel. I see the father breaking off generational anxiety and depression. What's your mom? What your daddy had, what your grandpa and your grandma had, you don't get to have. If you have, if you have generational anxiety, depression, I want you to raise your hand. Okay. I see the oil of heaven pouring out and it's flowing into your mind and it's literally filling in every crack, every crevice. It's flowing down into the deep, deep parts. right to your heart and your children's children's children will not have anxiety and they will not have depression and they will not have the heaviness the cloud of heaviness 
So she's giving God permission. That's something that is so heretical. And and I saw that a lot in New Age. And Don, you probably saw that in NAR. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, I did that. You did that. I, oh, absolutely, Doreen. I did. I, I did that as a worship leader. I did that as a prophet. Because, and people, and you don't even realize what you're doing. I mean, it's just so, it's... It's deceptive. It's so deceptive and so unbiblical. But you think you're doing something so deep and spiritual to tell God that you give him permission. I mean, now thinking about it, it, I mean, I couldn't help but just react to what she was doing because I thought, yeah, I mean, that's not foreign to me at the the old dawn that that's not foreign to me. Um, and And it makes me uncomfortable seeing it because I think, oh, I used to do those things at the same time. I thank God that I don't do those things anymore because they are very unbiblical. That is that is not the God of the Bible. I don't give God permission. No one gives God permission. A created being does not give the, the God of all heaven and earth permission. And that's another God she's speaking of. I don't recognize that that God. Yeah. And she seemed to be weaving in from Isaiah about the oil of gladness Um, And she talked about the spirit of heaviness. I mean, that's, they're taking scripture and then twisting it. Yeah. And the gladness is salvation. (laughs) The joy is found in his salvation. And and then at the beginning, she even said, you know, I see the father doing this, but then it sounds like the father's not doing it unless you permit him to do it. So her her message is is double-minded. And then how can you promise that your child won't deal with depression? You can't make that promise. That's not always guaranteed. It doesn't deny the fact that demons again exist and that there could be an outward attack of depression. Um, We know of great men and women like uh, Charles Spurgeon, I think, battled with depression. Um, That doesn't mean that he was battling a demon. We we live in a fallen world. I can't guarantee that my children won't have battles and trials, Mm -hmm. but I can tell them the, the the way to go and the truth and who has hope and joy for them. And when they do struggle and if, and if they do come to saving faith in Christ to, to give them a hope that's, that's found in Christ, even in the midst of suffering and tribulation, it's, it's just false hope and, and it's deceptive. What, what this is teaching. Uh, let's uh, let's play a clip from uh, Derek Prince that kind of goes even further uh, on this point. If I can put it like this, some of you are going the wrong direction. Tonight you can make a U-turn and start going the right direction. But that doesn't mean you've arrived. You're on the way. You have to keep that direction. You have to keep hearing and doing what God says if you want to continue in the blessing of Abraham. And you have to keep making the right confession. If there are those of you here this evening who feel that in some way there's the shadow of a curse over your life, and you want to be released, I want to lead you in a prayer of release. You remember the story that I told you of Miriam who read the prayer and was completely healed? Now, I'm not promising you healing. That's in God's hands. But if your sickness is directly due to a curse, if you're released from the curse, you qualify for healing from your sickness. So those of you that would like me to lead you We just have a few moments left. (coughs) I'd like you to stand to your feet 
and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. First of all, we've established a clear scriptural base. Okay, I gave you the scriptures. Now, you need to confess your faith in Christ, commit yourself to obedience, confess any known sins of yourself or your ancestors. And when we do that, I'll give you a few moments to confess them silently. Then forgive all other persons, and I'll give you a few moments to do a little forgiving. And then renounce all contact with the occult by yourself or your ancestors. Commit yourself to get rid of all contact objects, and then release yourself in the name of Jesus. There's the formula that Don was talking about. Yeah. Did you used to teach formulas, Don, when you were doing this kind of work? No, it wasn't formulas. Um, like I said, it was pretty much like people would come in for private sessions um, at if we had certain uh, healing and deliverance times that we did at the church. Um, so it wasn't necessarily like a, a checklist you had in front of you, but it, it could have been. Um, it definitely was formulaic. I mean, you could have people do certain things, but it wasn't to that point like mm -hmm. Derek Prince was doing. Mm -hmm. Do you remember um, any of the sessions that you did, uh, either in a group or individually, anything that happened while you were taking them through breaking these supposed curses? Um, I know that sometimes that we would have them repeat things after us, kind of like Derek Prince was doing, um, getting them to renounce and um, to to uh, rebuke, even rebuke the devil to and uh, to take authority. Um, that was another thing, taking authority over the, the things like that um, and then praying over them and um, and us taking authority over the demonic. Um, one thing that really kind of uh, stands out to me, too, when Derek Prince was doing that is just telling people that they forgive themselves. And, and I struggle with that, too, because that's not in Scripture. I mean, that right. again, like, seems like we're putting ourselves in the place of God and, yeah. and we, we're supposed to ask God to forgive us. We don't we don't forgive ourselves. Um, yeah, that's so, psycholo the psychology teaches that pop psychology. Yeah. It's not yeah. biblical. Yeah. It, and I used to actually tell people to forgive themselves as a new age meditation teacher, you know, this, you forgive yourself for all the mistakes you've made. And, and how I, as he's saying, forgive everybody and he's giving them like 10 seconds <laughs> to do so. It's not that, that it's not a snap process to forgive people. Uh, I mean, it, in an umbrella sense, it is when you know that, how could I hold a grudge when God has forgiven me for so much more? I mean, in that sense, you can say that I have no right to hold a grudge against anybody. But in in practical application, forgiving others seems to be more of a process, doesn't it? It does. I think that's part. That's definitely one of the things as pers personally I can reflect on even in sanctification is realizing um, and looking at relationships through the years and and coming to the understanding of. God has forgiven me of so much. How can I ask God to forgive me if I can't forgive others? And I, and I think that that's part of our progressive sanctification and the Holy Spirit working within us to conform us to the image of Christ is to help us to understand the the, the importance and the in the obedience when God tells us to forgive others um, and how we are, are to conduct ourselves. Um, and it is and it is a progressive thing. I, I think that that is something that. It, you, as nice as it would be for it for us to snap our fingers and for it to go away, it doesn't. Um, and that's something that we have to be willing to take before the Lord 
and to be um, to be corrected over and to ask us ask God to renew our minds by His Word so that we can we can love and and follow His instructions. Yeah, I can just imagine how much pressure you and the others in NAR were under to think that everything's your fault, that it's the generational curses of your forefathers, but ultimately you're the one that has to untangle it and undo it. I mean, that must've just been some, a cloud to live under every day. It is. And you, what, what is interesting, Doreen, is that in all the years that I was in this, I mean, for those that may not be familiar with me, I mean, this is all I knew. So I was in this movement, the word of faith, hypercharismatic NER for almost 20 years. So almost half my life I was in this. The the amount of deception that you're under, that you are under the false impression that you have so much power. So the the demon slayers, they use, they believe wholeheartedly have bought in um, to the generational curse. Um, thing and they they teach it they perpetuate it that's part of deliverance ministry it's it's intertwined into deliverance ministry quick fixes like the clip we saw from the woman in Bethel you know guaranteed your all your grandkids will never be depressed or anxious and when that happens you might think well if, what am I doing wrong yeah or you might think God doesn't listen to my prayers. Right. And you're you're possibly wondering, you know, someone else is getting this breakthrough or it looks like they're getting breakthrough. Why am I not getting this? And I, I sometimes wonder if uh, and this is just a thought I, I'll throw out there. You know, a lot of times we see people in this type of movement, for example, that maybe they're not struggling or maybe they're hiding their struggles because they're they don't want to talk about it because power their words and things. But I wonder sometimes if um, if if there is truly a demonic aspect to it, if they're leaving people alone because they're perpetuating these these teachings, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, totally. Does. Um, and it gives a false perception of, oh, well, they're truly walking mm-hmm. in freedom, but th- they're teaching false doctrines. So they're not really a threat, whereas believers, you know, we're we're. We're not promised an easy road in scripture. Yeah. What you're saying, John, reminds me so much of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he was talking about all the troubles and the tribulations he went through. And I love, it's one of my favorite verses in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 1. He said, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's what the word of faith and NAR and new age doesn't understand or teach is that God allows suffering for yeah. his glory. And in yep. this case that Paul was talking about, like you're talking about to, to bring you closer to God, to help you to rely on God, to lean into God. And this Dave, I'd love you to speak about this, how the sovereignty of God, how in view of what Don was talking about with the beliefs about generational curses. Basically, you know, Derek Prince and the others who teach this, they place the wrong emphasis on uh, some sort of magical incantation. If I do this, then this will happen kind of situation argument. But the problem is, as we were as I was talking about in um, those passages that we were considering earlier, the initiative begins with God. God is sovereign over all things. So, you, Don, you were just talking about suffering. You know, many people uh, unjustly accuse God. They they focus on some sort of like practical strategy in which to deal with suffering, which isn't a bad thing. 
okay, we do need help in the midst of our suffering, and God provides that help, so it sounds good. But what people forget is, what about Job? Um, What about Joseph? Uh, Genesis 50-20, God can turn around what was meant for evil and use it for his good. Or Romans 8, 28, uh, you know, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. Or James 1, 2 through 3, consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that testing your faith produces. What about, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, Paul was whipped and, you know, beaten, and uh, he was shipped three times. What about John 16, 33? Um, what about uh, Job 40 through 42, where uh, God basically tells Job, you're dust. I mean, uh, you're talking to the Lord here, <laughs> you know, and and that's not when some people hear that. What they hear is, well, you're just minimizing my suffering. Well, we talked about depression and anxiety here, and we can go look very clearly at the book of Psalms and look at David. He's downcast. He's down in the dumps. And then you know, he exalts in the Lord. How do you square that with the, the generational curse view with the Psalm 42? I mean, um, so then then scripture doesn't interpret scripture. Um, I am the one that's in charge of everything as Don was saying. I just decree it and declare it. And so so there's a my point is simply there's an unjust focus on those things, anxiety, depression, uh, break off witchcraft, and and all of it versus the fact that the Lord is God. He's the one who made us in his image and likeness, as Genesis 1.26 says. Um, he's the one that scripture is crystal clear on. He upholds us. He governs the cosmos. He rules and reigns over all things. He is providential. He orchestrates all history from beginning to end and everywhere in between. And so to unduly focus on a deliverance, a curse, or whatever, apart from the sovereignty of God, is is to focus on yourself, to make yourself the point of the worship, which is what Romans 1 so clearly talks about. And, and Don, you were going there as well in, in, in earlier. It's the worship of self. Rather us, we have a John Calvin once said the human heart is an idol factory, and that's where we go. And what our hearts need is to be redeemed. That's right. It does not. We do not need the deliverance that's offered by Derek Prince or anybody else. We need the deliverance, the freedom that Jesus spoke of from Isaiah 61 and Luke 4, when he said he came to set the captives free. As Luke 19.10 says, he came to seek and to save the lost. And John 10, he goes after the uh, he leaves the 99 and he goes uh, and to save the one lost sheep. Jonah 2.9 says that salvation is of the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So we just want to also note, because um, we'll get letters otherwise, that we're not saying that spiritual warfare isn't real. We right. acknowledge what the Bible says. It is Ephesians 6 really lays that out, that spiritual warfare absolutely happens. It happens to believers. But we're saying that the Bible gives us these parameters of how to deal with spiritual warfare, such as put on the armor of God, submit to God, resist the devil. We are not the ones in charge. We're not the ones who are sitting there as demon slayers, like Buffy the vampire slayer. And especially we're not decreeing, declaring, or commanding God, forbid, to do things. This is, Jesus was the one that cast out demons. Yes, he gave authority to the 12 
uh, to to the seventy. He gave authority to the one man that John was worried about because he wasn't part of them in the book of Luke. But there's nothing in the New Testament epistles to the early church that gives us instructions to break generational curses, to do deliverance on our own, and even more than that, to do so, to try to have one-on-one conversations with the devil or demons is spiritually dangerous. It's actually insane because they're going to outsmart you. They're evil geniuses. Why would you want to talk with them when you can go to the one who promises to be with us always, Jesus? If someone is coming with the, the argument is based in scripture, your experience is at the mercy of scripture. Scripture is not at the mercy of my experience. My experience is to be judged and to be tested against scripture. And if it's not founded in the final authority of the word of God, rightly divided and rightly understood, then it is to be rejected. And it doesn't matter who said it. It doesn't matter. Derek Prince is not, he's a, he's a, I'm going to say it and people are getting mad. If people get upset with you talking and with us mentioning Derek Prince or anybody else, then we have touched a sacred cow in that person's life that they don't want touched. Right. You've idolized a man and you nobody is off limits. We're not off limits from being tested. Neither is someone that is beloved by by millions or whatever. No one is off um, is out of bounds by being tested. We're all to be tested. And the final authority is scripture. And there can be true believers that are wrong, but a true believer will receive correction. A true believer loves the truth of the word of God. They love it. I mean, Psalm 119 is replete with that, of the, 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 the psalmist talking about how they love the law. They love the instruction of God. They love the commandments. They love the testimonies. They love his precepts. I mean, it, it, Psalm 119 goes on and on about that. The longest psalm in the book of Psalms. If we love God's word, then we have to we have to be more um, fierce about defending the word of God than defending a man or woman that we respect or hold in high esteem. It, it, we cannot we cannot sacrifice scripture for the sake of a man or woman that we're going to get way off base in doing that. And so I would just encourage those that listen, if you get your feathers ruffled up by that, you need to realize that maybe you need to step back and go, am I idolizing this person? Or do I really value the truth of scripture um, and, and value what God's word says? Because we want to honor God's word. And when we're not representing God's word in truth, we're not honoring God. So true. Yeah. And in the video description, there's a link to a video that Dave and I did about Derek Prince. And he's a Pentecostal, was a Pentecostal pastor who idolized the heretic William Branham. So there's a lot of things that he did that are off base, even though he seems charming with his suit and his British accent. And he does talk about the sins that have consequences. We want to, as Don was saying, avoid idolizing him, especially since he did twist scripture. And and I just want to say one last thing when to touch on Don so that nobody misunderstands what Don just said. She's not Don's not minimizing, and we're never going to minimize people's feelings because, like I was right. talking about earlier, if the Psalms are replete with David expressing his heartfelt struggle, depression, Psalm 42. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones wrote a book on spiritual depression, largely focusing on these things. And and in the in spiritual depression, Lloyd Jones talks about the cure and the remedy 
And we have to remind ourselves like David did in the Psalms about the truth of Scripture. And there is a great danger, as you were talking about, Doreen, in placing uh, psychology and other things and our feelings above the Word of God. But like you're saying, Don, um, the Word of God is to be our final authority. It's not first our feelings and a scripture running along the same racetrack. It is first scripture interpreting and t- telling us uh, and, and instructing us, this is how to deal with our anxiety, our depression, our anger, and and those kind of things. And and just the reminder even, our Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, um, tell us that, you know, Jesus, um, Jesus was tempted in every way, every way, and yet he didn't sin. And this is why he he invites us, he summons us uh, to come before his throne, um, and so and that's a that's a invitation twenty four seven that we have because of the finished and uh, finished and sufficient work of Christ, and so we can come to God, and He knows us, He understands us, um, He cares for us, and so um, it's not an emphasis on a magical incantation; it's actually an invitation to because we've been united to Christ by faith in his name we have communion with him and it's an invitation uh to enjoy the communion that he has given to those who are in Christ which is far greater than any uh anything that Derek Prince or any of the other generational curse teachers could ever offer to anybody that's so true dave mm-hmm. I want to thank you both for being with me today and shedding biblical truth biblical light on this topic. And if you have any questions, you can get a hold of Dave or Don. Their contact details are in the description below. And we thank you both for being here with us today. Thank you, Doreen. Thank you so much for having me as always, sister. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.